Brother Eric. Thank you, Sister Pam. John chapter 17. Do y'all remember last week? Man, not a lot of uh, not a lot of not a lot of response there. It's all right. We've been going through the book of John and and really going through it from the chap- chapter 15, which is where our our theme text has come from this year. And and really we've been building. We talked about this last week how uh, kind of like the music swelling in a in a exciting movie, a dramatic event is about to happen and it's still coming. But Jesus has stopped to pray. We talked about that last week. We talked about what he prayed about, what was important to him. But the last few verses of this prayer that Jesus prays in chapter 17, I've saved for today because these verses are precious. I pray when I preach for you, sometimes I know preaching can be a little harsh and feel prickly, but my prayer is that it nourishes you. And I'm going to encourage you to listen real carefully today because if this message doesn't nourish you some and encourage you, uh, then you missed it. Because what Jesus is praying for, it says Jesus prays for his church, but if you're a Christian, let me tell you, this is Jesus praying for you. And if you're not here, if you're not saved and you're not a Christian, that's okay. Listen, because you're going to hear that Jesus wants something for His people, something he wants for you if you'll trust him that you can't find anywhere else in the world. It's wonderful. Uh, I'm going to read this text. We're going to be in John chapter 17, as I said. We're going to start in verse 20. We're going to read through the end of the chapter, and then I'll pray, and we're going to get going into it. Jesus, continuing in his prayer, he says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that thou may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, and how... And thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray. Father, I love you, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity to preach your word. I pray that this message is edifying and nourishing to us. And Lord, I pray that not only is it encouraging and, and nourishing, but Lord, I pray it's, that, it, that it points us in how we should live for you what you want for us, how you want us to live together. Lord, how we are to accomplish the mission that you've given us. God, I pray you be with our church. Help us to grow continually closer to you, that we might be more like you, that we might shine brighter as you shined in this lost world, and that others will see their need for a Savior. We love you and we trust you. In Christ's name, amen. 
Jesus is praying for his church. He's praying, if you're a Christian, he's praying for you. And the first thing we see that Jesus prays is that he prays that believers will be united in him. Uh, as I said, I, I save this portion of this prayer uh, because there's a, an overarching theme in this particular part of his prayer, and it's revealed to us in chapter 21 when he says that they all may be one. He's praying for unity among us, among our church and other churches like ours, and not just unity among our church and churches like ours, but that we will be unified with other Christians. And, and obviously that starts here in our local church, uh, but we're to minister alongside one another. We're not on opposing teams. We're together in this. What Jesus is praying for, he's praying for supernatural unity, something that you don't find normally in the world. And so I want to take a little bit in this first point and, and kind of see what this kind of unity Jesus is praying for looks like. And first, we're going to talk about two things that it doesn't look like. First, unity is not compromising the truth. Amen. Unity is not compromising the truth. Uh, D.A. Carson, who's a wonderful commentator, he said, Unity is not achieving by hunting enthusiastically for the lowest common theological denominator, but by common adherence to the gospel. There's many churches who, who, who grow and they talk about their unity, but they have compromised the truth. They've compromised what the Word of God is teaching. And Jesus is not praying for unity based on our personal opinions or our feelings about who God is and how God, what, how God acts. He's wanting us to be united based on who God has revealed to us through the Bible. Look in verse 20. He says... He says, neither pray I for these alone. Of course, he's ta- those he's talking about is the disciples, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So he's talking about all of us believers who, have, who are beyond these disciples that he was initially praying for. He's talking about us, me and you, and praying that we will be unified because of what is revealed about God from these disciples. Uh, what what we see these men write and reveal about Jesus. 1 John 1.3, it says, That which we have seen, this is John writing, That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And this is interesting because every Sunday morning when I get here and I look out and I'm preaching to you, I see a whole variety of different people. Uh, I have some engineers in here. We have uh, people who've worked in finance. We have many people who've worked in uh, the medical field or continually working in the medical field. Working, we have a, a, a sister who's a pharmacist with us this morning. Uh, we have educators. We have uh, people who are small business owners. We have our accountants here this morning. We have uh, people who are retired. We have moms. We have dads. We have fathers. We have uh, um, uh, fathers, that's that's redundant. We have husbands, we have wives, we've got kids in here. But and, and really, if you think about that, there's really no reason that all of you should gather together to hear me talk. 
The only reason is because we're all to be seeking a common truth in God's word. Uh, the, the only reason you should sit in the same room and listen to me, or, or that you've chosen to, uh, thankfully, is, is because of the truth that Jesus has revealed through his disciples in his word. We didn't go to the same colleges in here. We don't even like the same sports teams, right? Go Cowboys. Go Rangers. Uh, that's even more divisive in here, right? We don't have the same hobbies, uh, but our bond is far stronger than any bond that you're going to find in, in sports fandom or any other team or club that you're going to have. Our bond is much deeper than that. We all know and we understand that we're sinners and we, we deserve God's punishment, but we have received God's grace because we believe on Jesus through the word of his disciples about him. We share something much bigger than a common experience or shared interests. We share Christ. And that is where we have unity. We don't need to compromise on truth to be unified. Also, the second thing that, uh, that is not what this unity looks like is that unity is not outlawing any diversity. We have some men in our uh, services this morning who have been in the military. Uh, Brother Brother Raymond was in the he is a Marine excuse me he's a Marine right we have some other men in our church that are Marines Brother Richard was in the Navy yeah and Brother Dave is also in the Navy or the Air Force Air Force yeah see I got it I got it uh, we but whenever you go to boot camp you you can see this in in movies and TV shows because a lot of times it's pretty accurate what do they do when they get all these different guys from all over the United States from all over what do they do with them all. They make them all look the same. They cut their hair the same. Uh, they, make them, they teach them how to march the same, how to respond to commands the same, how to, how to uh, perform their jobs the same. Uh, they even issue them uniforms so they will be uniform with one another. They want to eliminate all diversity. They want good, uh, replicated soldier after soldier after soldier. But the unity that Jesus is asking for is not like that. And some believe, and I, I, I regret that churches are like this. There's churches out there like this. Some believe that church ought to be a battalion of, of faceless soldiers ready to assault the world who are all to be exactly the same. In fact, there's many pastors that think this way and have preached this way. And I, I think a lot of that is in the past, uh, but I, I could be wrong. But they think that their church should think the way he thinks, dress the way he dresses, walk the way he walks, look and act just like him. But this undermines the fact that God has made us all different. He, he hasn't made us all to be engineers like Brother Eric. We can't all think like Brother Eric, praise the Lord. Okay, he hasn't made us all to uh, to 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 be as dedicated and and organized as Melissa. Some of us need to be a little more flexible. I do. Okay, that's why we put us together, maybe, so I can help her be flexible and she can make me be a little more organized. He's he's given us all strengths that complement one another, and even beyond that, he's given us a diversity. That, we're, that gives us opportunity to reach far more people than if we were all the same. 
I mean, imagine, imagine if you will, that we all were the, had the same uh, 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 skin color, had all the same ethnic background, had all the same uh, growing up experience. How easy is it going to be for us to reach someone that's different from us, that's had a more difficult upbringing or had a, a different a background in their life? It's going to be incredibly difficult. We're going to have less common ground. But because he's put together a group of diverse people, who have different gifts and different talents and different hobbies and different uh, uh, attributes, God can use us in far more ways. This idea of outlawing diversity undermines God's, uh, the diversity he built into his church. We need to be unified. Don't get me wrong. We need to be unified, but we need to be unified on non-negotiables. We need to be unified on what God's word says. We don't have to look and dress and act all the same, but we need to believe the same thing about God's Word and about His Son. But in the non-essentials, we need to live and serve alongside one another in love. In love. Well, unity is what Jesus is praying for, not uniformity. And so let's talk two things about uh, that, that Jesus is praying for, that this unity looks like this, what kind of unity he's praying for, what it looks like. Two things it does look like. It's, it looks like being united in our shared relationship with Jesus. I've already talked a little bit about this, but the unity Jesus is asking for is found in that relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And where is that? What is our, what is our relationship with Jesus once we trust him? Oh man, y'all are ready for the answer. That's all right. Y'all are y'all are listening. Last night we were sitting with uh, Hastings. They came over and we had dinner together and had some fajitas uh, that I cooked, worked really hard on to go pick up from the store. And uh, we were talking about what they've been talking about in their lessons. And and Sister Sandy nailed it down. She nailed it down that we have a new identity in the Lord. We are. One in Christ, and 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 she, I didn't. She nailed it down as as that we're no longer sinners. I mean, we're sinners, but we don't have to identify as that anymore. We are saints. We are saints in the Lord. We are one in the Lord. Uh, we are one in Christ. Few few of us are ever really living, though, in that present reality. How many of us are 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 living daily, presently, in our, in our relationship with Christ. How, how many, let me, let me put it this way. How many of you identify that way day in and day out, morning, afternoon, and evening? Oh, we identify as a mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, employee, manager, whatever our role is, and that's how we, we view ourselves. But ultimately, above all of that, you are a saint, saved by Jesus Christ through his blood. And, and you have a relationship with him that ties us all together. Church unity and Christian unity is the result of entering into a deep relationship that exists within the Trinity. And I'm going to try really hard to reveal this to you. Uh, so listen carefully, okay? Listen to this. So what does it say in this passage about the, the relationship in, this, uh, in the Trinity? Where the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father, right? Then the Son is in the believers. Whenever you get saved, when you've trusted Christ, who, who comes and lives in you? The Spirit of Jesus. 
right? And then in, in, in multiple places throughout Scripture, it describes that believers are in Christ. We're in the Son. So this perfect love-filled relationship that exists between these three distinct persons, that is the one God, uh, this relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, when you trust Christ, you enter into that relationship because you are in Christ. You are in Him. And so uh, not only are you uh, have this wonderful relationship with Christ, you're part... You, you have part of his relationship with the Father and of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if that encourages you and excites you as much as it does me, but I have a lot of relationships in my life, but there's none that is more beautiful and amazing and incredible and dramatic as this one. I, I can call the Father, Father, because I'm in Christ. Not because I'm made uh, in the likeness of of God, like uh, he made Adam and Eve back there all the way in, in Genesis? No, but because I'm in Christ, I can call him Father. And I can come to him anytime and, and make my request known unto him. In fact, Hebrews said that we can approach the throne boldly, just like a son to his father. Sometimes my kids come to me boldly and they ask for things like video games. Do you know why they can do that? Because I'm their daddy. They don't go to Brother Eric and ask for those things. They don't go to Brother Lester. They don't go to uh, Brother Zach or anybody else. They come to me because I'm dad. And they can come to me. Now, because of our, our relationship in Christ, we can have this intense and wonderful relationship. But not only that, it's a little further than this, okay? Not only do I have that relationship and you have that relationship if you trusted Christ, we have it together. I mean... If, if we let that relationship that is guided and, and governed by love, if we let that relationship guide and govern our life, how much easier is it for us to be unified in our relationship? I mean, we talked about all the diversity and different things about uh, one another, but we have this tremendous amount of unity Despite our differences, despite how we look different, walk different, and talk different, have different backgrounds and different uh, futures and different pursuits in our life, despite all of that, we have Christ above all. He is one, and he is, he, we are one in Him. So what happens, what happens when we have disunity? Well, we're going to take a little detour and, and go to Philippians real quick. Jesus had, uh, uh, Paul had instructions for those who experienced disunity. This church in Philippi was a great church, but they were struggling with a little bit of disunity, and Paul was seeking to address that for them. And um, he starts, we're going to read in verse, uh, verse 2. Philippians chapter 2, excuse me, verse 2, he says, Fulfill you my joy, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. What is he saying? He's saying, don't fight. Don't argue. But instead, 
Be humble. Have unity. How? How can we do that? Well, he didn't stop there, thank the Lord. In verse 5, look at what he says. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. What does he say? We're, to be, we're not to argue. We're not to fight. Instead, we're to be humble. We're to have unity. And how are we going to do that? We're to be more like Jesus. We need to be like Jesus. Our unity in any church, in this church, in the church the Hastings are members of, our unity is based in Christ. And not only is it based in Christ, it is empowered by Christ. I mean, he's the one that gives us all the reason and the ability to have unity with one another despite our differences and despite all our diversity. We're to be more like Jesus. Last thing about this unity Jesus is praying for, we talked about how it's, it's not compromising the truth. This is not unity that is uh, outlawing, uh, outlawing any diversity. This is Uh, being united in our shared relationship with Jesus, but it's also being united in our shared mission with Jesus. You know, as we discover, as we experience the unity that we have with one another in our relationship with Christ, what we should naturally do is discover our, our, our unity of mission. You know, the Father and the Son had a unified desire to rescue sinners from eternal condemnation. That's why Jesus came. I mean, that's what John 3.16, John 3.16 expresses a lot of wonderful truths. And one of them is that this, this shared desire between the Father and the Son it says, for God, who's Father, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And that Son had to, had to follow through with his Father's will. He had to follow through and submit himself to his Father's will. He had to have a desire. I mean, Can you imagine going to the cross begrudgingly? No, Jesus had a desire to save you and me. And so when he went to the cross, he did it with a shared desire with the Father to rescue us from hell. And they have a shared desire, a shared mission. And as each church draws nearer to Jesus, their unity should show in a common commitment to the mission of Jesus. Let me try to lay this out a little more clearly. How many of y'all remember 9-11? I was going to ask how many of y'all remember Pearl Harbor, but... Oh man, okay. When, during 9-11, before that, I was in high school. Just, I just graduated high school when, when uh, September 11th happened. And, and I, was, I was working at a, at a feed store. I was in Bible college. I wasn't doing homework, but I was in Bible college. And... Was our world like a very unified place? Was our country a very unified nation? No, it really wasn't. It was fractured. I don't know if it was as fractured as we are now, but it was fractured. But suddenly something happened. We had an enemy attack our home soil and try to destroy us. And suddenly 
all the differences and all the disunity that had existed in our country evaporated. Do you remember how wonderful? I mean, it was terrible what had happened, and it was shocking, and it was, uh, it was heartbreaking. And the fact that we were going to a war that was going to go on for years and years, in many ways still going on. I had friends who went to that war that I'd graduated high school with. It was terrifying, but one of the most amazing parts of about it was the unity that existed in our nation. Suddenly all the differences evaporated. And the mission was clear to, to destroy the enemy and to be strong from within. You know, when we let all the distractions and the, and the, and the disunity fade, we can be focused on a common mission. And the Bible says that when the church is centered around this common mission, that the gates of hell will shake says they will not prevail against this church. Listen, uh, hell has no chance against a unified church. None whatsoever. And you might wonder, well, what, are we charging the gates of hell? Yeah, we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be out in this community. I'm supposed to be leading you. Out in this community, sharing the gospel. And if we don't do it, we're failing in the mission. But if we're unified in this mission then we will be successful. Will we see the fruit uh, that we want to see? Maybe, maybe not. But we'll see what God can do, and we will not be defeated. Let's look at four signs of a unified church real quickly. Uh, four signs of a unified church, I think, would be a shared commitment to the Bible. Look in Acts 2. In Acts chapter 2, it says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things in common. A unified church is going to have a shared commitment to the Bible. So that means when every member of a church faces some kind of difficulty or obstacle in their life, whether it be uh, in their personal life or whether it be in their uh, corporate church life where they're trying to serve, whenever they face some kind of obstacle, they should be asking the question, what does the Bible say? I've got, I've got lots of books in my office that talk about what a lot of men say we should do, but ultimately we need to go to what the Bible says and then commit to what the Bible says Commit to obeying it no matter what it says. The church that does that will experience deep unity. Another sign of a unified church is a shared uh, realization of our new identity. Uh, We live in a world that offers us a whole litany of things to identify ourselves with. Uh, We were talking a little bit about that last night with the Hastings. I I, I remember friends of mine who were in high school who identified as athletes, and when they didn't get the scholarship, their identity crumbled. I I had friends in high school who identified as as, uh, uh, wonderful musicians, and they wanted to become professional musicians, and some of them did, and some of them didn't. And their, their lives, their focus, their direction in their life crumbled. The devil wants us to identify things here with things here. Did you know that? He wants the most important thing about you to be something found here. Because if it's something that's found here on this earth, then the, the Lord might give him opportunity to take it away from you. 
And that's where the devil wants to work. He wants to take your identity away. He wants to make you feel hopeless and make you feel useless and make you feel like your life means nothing. But the reality is, is your life is in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. And if, you, if that is the thing that supersedes all other things in your life, if you, if you look at, you know, Brother Darren, Darren is a, and you list out what, Brother Darren, who you are, if the very top thing is saint saved by Jesus Christ, the devil can never, ever take that from you. Never. Uh, it's eternal. He gives you eternal life. If you can lose eternal life, is it eternal? No, not at all. He gives you eternal life. And this identity we have in Jesus, listen, if you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ and you need Jesus He's offering you something that never can be taken away from you. I mean, uh, you, you can be cr- incredibly wealthy. You can be incredibly successful, but those things can be taken from you. Uh, you could be incredibly healthy and, and, and have it all together, be a, a, a fitness uh, guru on, on social media, and everybody flocks to you for the answers about their fitness. But you know what? That can be taken away from you. You can have the greatest career and the highest success in your field. But you know what? Someday that will be taken from you. But eternal life, eternal salvation and forgiveness, righteousness of God from Jesus Christ through his blood can never, ever be taken from you. That ought to be the one thing that defines us more than anything. More than Brother Darren is an American or is a Texan. I, I kind of like that identification better than American even. Okay, I, I like to say that I'm a Texan. You know what? I'm a citizen of heaven first. That can never be taken from me. You know, the devil can take my health from me. He could take my kids from me. He could take my relationships from me. He, he could take my career from me, but he can never take my place in Christ. We ought to have a shared realization of our new identity. What's interesting about this and how it brings unity between each other, and I'm chasing a little rabbit trail here, but I experienced this when I went to Panama. You know, I already knew Tim and had spent time talking to Tim on the phone, but I'd never really met any of these brethren in Panama. They're members, many of them members of our church. And Brother Andres Falconet, who, who is now our missionary, you know, I didn't know this guy. I knew something about him. I knew some testimony from Tim about him. But him and I, T- Andres and I, we don't have the same background. We don't have the same nationality. We don't even share the same language. He speaks Spanish, and I speak like a little bit of Spanglish, and it's pretty bad. I asked Marion, she knows it's pretty bad Spanglish out of Brother Darren. But you know what? We have a shared identity in Christ. And before I left Panama, after spending only eight days with this guy, him and I were brothers in our hearts. Listen, a unified church is going to have, we're going to be tied together by this shared identity in Christ. Also, a third thing that uh, uh, is a sign of a unified church, a shared desire to love one another. You know, our love should be for one another, and it should be seen when we bear one another's burdens, when we instruct or, or point each other to Christ, when we forgive one another when we pray for one another, when we submit to one another, when we encourage one another, when we, when we try to direct uh, one another not to be angry, but to act in love and in good works. 
These things are not just concepts that we should agree on. This is conduct that we should live. The last thing I see as a sign of a unified church would be a shared, uh, I was looking for a good word, disdain is what I came up with. The shared disdain for selfish division. When we see uh, divinity, uh, unity always moves forward. It's, it's striving for perfection. Look, I mean, in verse 23, he said, I and them and thou and me that they may be made perfect in one. We're to have this perfect uh, we should be striving for perfection in our unity. But that's not perfection that is spotless. It's just perfection that, that, that is, is exhibiting the highest degree of unity. We should always be seeking in our church the highest degree of unity with one another. We should have a disdain for disunity, for uh, selfish division. We should seek to remove it from our church. And Real unity, well, we must never be unified enough. This needs to be what our goal is, to never be unified enough. Last thing, and this I'll share. From these last few verses, we see that Jesus prays that believers will be reunited with him. Look at verse 24. He says, Father, after praying for this supernatural unity in his church, in those that would go beyond his disciples, he says, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. You know, we might experience a unique union and relationship and fellowship with Jesus right now, and, and that is totally available to you, but it's only just a shadow of what's coming. When we get to heaven, we're going to see his divine glory. We're going to see his divine goodness in its fullness. I, I, I try to imagine this. What, what is this like for us right now? I think it's kind of like if you, if you go into your closet at home, uh, we thankfully have a closet we can go into and shut the door behind us. There's not a lot of closets like that sometimes. I didn't have one like that when I was a kid. But if you can go into your closet and you can shut the door behind you and the light is out in that closet and the light is on in the room beyond, what is the light that you can see? It's just the light that creeps around that door, right? Just a, just a, a, a hint, a, just kind of a, a wisp of that light that is that is beaming into that room and flooding that room beyond with light. That's what it's like right now in the life we're living right now. Our view of his glory is just, it's just a shadow. It's just a little bit. Our, uh, the, the experience of our relationship with him is just, it's just a taste right now. But someday that door is going to be thrown open wide and we're going to be basking in the light of his glory. We're going to be we're going to see him. In 1 John 3, 2, it says, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall, see, well, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Someday we're going to see Jesus as he is. Someday we're going to see him face to face. I... I uh, I love my wife. Amen. 
And uh, one of the things I love, and I think it annoys her sometimes, but sometimes it doesn't because she's asleep, I just love to look at her face. And usually I'll get a little irritated if she won't look back at me. She might be preoccupied, but I like to look at her face. It's beautiful to me. Imagine the face of Jesus. Getting to see him face to face. Uh, uh, Someone who has redeemed you and freed you from the burden of sin. Someone who thought so much of you and of his love for you that he would go to a, a Roman cross and experience anguish beyond, beyond a description, shed his perfect blood. Not because you were worth it, not because you were good enough, not because you smelled good enough or anything that, that value that can be found in you. Because he loves you. Don't you want to see him? I want to see him. And he... He prayed that he wants to see you. Church can be a taste of heaven. When people with different preferences, hobbies, genders, backgrounds, skin colors, accents, uh, tastes, when we love one another with a love beyond our natural love, that shows what heaven can be like. Jesus prayed for that in our church. But you know, if you're here and you've never trusted him, he he came so that you could be part of that. He came so that you could have eternal life. Life that nobody can take away from you, that you can't even fumble and mess up enough to lose it on your own. He came to save you. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, right now we're about to have an invitation and we're going to stand together and go ahead and stand. Brother Eric's going to come and the musicians are going to come and they're going to lead us in a a song of invitation. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, listen, Jesus died not just for no reason. He died because you're a sinner and we need a Savior. He died because I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And he did it. Willingly. It was not, his life was not taken from him. His blood was not spilled as by accident. His blood was not taken. It was shed. He shed it on purpose for you and me. Because he knew the only way we could be redeemed is by his blood. And the Bible says real clearly that if you'll believe, he'll save you. If you need to know how to do that today, there's people here who want to share that information with you and and you can come to me, you can come to Brother Eric, he'll stop singing. I think I think I'll let him do that if we all let him do that. If he needed to share the God, if you want to talk to Brother Eric or you want to talk to someone else in our you want to talk to Brother Tom, Tom would be more than blessed to share the gospel with you and show you how you can be saved. Would you do that today? But if you're here and uh you have a bit of a divided life, you live like probably most of us, you have a struggle trying to live for yourself the rest of the week and, and your identity is wrapped up in all the things that you're wrapped up in here. Turn your eyes to Jesus. Turn your eyes to Jesus and keep them on Him. 
I don't know how God wants you to respond, but I pray you do that. Lord, I pray you be with this invitation. I pray you be with our church. Help us to be a church of unity. Lord, something that's beautiful for you. I pray, I praise you for the unity we've experienced, God, but help that unity to never be enough. Help us to continue to be, uh, to seek to be unified in our, our shared mission. And help us to continue to seek to be unified in our shared relationship with you. And this relationship, this intimate relationship that we have, uh, not just with Jesus, but with the whole uh, Godhead, the whole Trinity. Lord, help us to be blessed by these thoughts. And Lord, if there's one here that's never trusted you, I pray that they will they'll, they'll give up the excuses of, oh, I got to get this right, or I got to uh, maybe later. Help them to re- realize their desperate need right now. Help them to seek for truth. We love you and we praise you. We pray be with this invitation in Christ's name. Amen. What shall we sing, Brother Eric?